Chapter 12 of The Northern Spy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Northern Spy by J. Thomas Warren. Chapter 12 The End of the Whole Matter. The mind of George Senlanger was in a whirl as he turned his horse's head toward the savannah. His conscience approved the peace he had made with his enemy and said that it was magnanimous and noble. But he imagined the fact of his fiery father, when he should learn the fact, and instinctively shrunk from their first encounter. George knew the country well and pushed toward a ferry of the river, intending to cross and ride toward Savannah City. He knew he should thus pass his old home, but he determined to ride by without a pause, for he had neither time nor humor for a meeting. Besides, he expected to be again over the same section with his comrades in a few weeks at the furthest. So he bowed his head and rode on as fast as his horse could carry him. Old Ben was hard put to it to keep up with George, and, moreover, he rode by no means so good a horse. Dang it, he growled. What's the use of being in such a pesky hurry? There ain't no rebels arter us, as I knows on. What's got inter the young master to ride so like the old Harry? Pears to me, if I had just got out of such a scrape, I'd not look so like a thundercloud. Dang it, I'd take it easy. That are as easy as a feller could. What had a hump on his back as big as a knapsack? Glad tain't a pack of sin, though. And now I wonder what this Yankee army of Sherman's looks like, what I'm going to see pretty soon. Spect them Yanks be half hoss and half ironclad alligators. Think thar feet'd get tolerable tough, trampin' over the whole creation as they does. Long time since I been to Savannah. Of course I'm going thar for old Sherman said he were bound to that point, and of course I'm one of the pesky Yanks now. He he ha ha mind was too busy with other things to pay any attention to old Ben's remarks, and so for five miles rode master and man at a rapid gait. Then they stopped suddenly before a pleasant looking frame mansion, which stood a short distance from the road. A dozen people sit about the door, mostly females. A coffin resting upon two chairs was upon the long veranda, and a tall, thin man in black, with a book in his hand, was giving directions to several servants nearby. A terrible fear seized upon George Saint-Legier, and there was a choking sensation in his throat. He dismounted, tied his horse to a post, and walked up the graveled path to the mansion. The ceremonies, whatever they were, ceased as he approached, and the man in black turned his eyes upon the stranger. There was a glance of recognition between the two men, as the clergyman gave his hand to the young man and said in a gloomy voice, "'You have arrived in time to bury your father.' Although George Saint-Legier had expected this, from the moment he drew rein before the mansion, the intelligence thus communicated seemed to overcome him for a moment. 
Then he requested that the coffin should be opened. He gazed a while upon the features of the dead, then kissed the cold, pallid face, and the lid was closed. Then the ceremony proceeded, and the body was interred upon the estate, the father lying by the side of wife and son. George could not tarry long, for the loss of his dispatches should be communicated immediately to Sherman, and the misfortune remedied. So after requesting the priest to look after matters for a brief time, he remounted his horse and galloped on as furiously as ever, attended by old Ben, who during the entire delay had not opened his lips, but moved about as quietly as if he knew and appreciated the grief of his master. Six weeks later, the actual invasion of South Carolina has begun. Savannah has been ours for several weeks, and now on the first day of February, two-thirds of Sherman's army are treading the sacred soil of the Palmetto State. George St. Legier is with Slocum's Corps, the gallant Old Twentieth. It has crossed at Sister's Ferry and is now near Robertville. There has been a stampede among the wealthy planters, and some of their dwellings are lighting up the midnight sky with lord flames. St. Legier, who knew how furious the troops have become since entering Carolina, obtained permission to have small detachments of cavalry stationed at the estates of Judge Simmons, Colonel Montague, and his own. Thus the fury of war has rolled by them harmless. The captain in person accompanied the squad to the residence of the judge and found the family in great trepidation and much alarmed, which was by no means lessened as they heard the clatter of the Yankee cavalry on the avenue. The squad drew up in front of the mansion, and the venerable judge appeared upon the veranda and said, Gentlemen, we are defenseless. You will, I trust, respect age and women. This is Judge Simmons, said St. Legier. That is my name. Then you are the gentleman we want. And what, sir, want you of me? To offer you and yours protection. Sir, do I understand you? This squad will remain here to prevent plundering and to preserve you from injury. Our army will soon move northward. This kindness is unexpected and appreciated. To whom do I owe it? To the Yankee spy whose life you saved a few weeks since. To George St. Legier, sir. And where is he, sir? Before you. Dressed in blue now instead of gray. Come in, sir, come in. We will make you welcome. And they did make the captain welcome. For the two days that the Twentieth Corps lingered in the neighborhood waiting the cooperation of the other troops, who were still floundering in the swamps below, the gallant captain tarried at the judge's mansion, a welcome guest, and by none more warmly received than by the winning, lovely Alice Montague. Northward swept the tide of conquest. Across the Carolinas marched the invincible legions of the Union, and at last they met their final glorious and bloodless victory at Raleigh. Peace with her white wings enveloped the land. 
the armies of the union were disbanded and returned to their homes george saint Legier returned to south carolina and entered upon the possession of his estates finding himself one of the wealthiest planters in the district with old ben manx as one of his overseers the colonel is dead having been killed by the kick of his horse and his daughter still resides with judge simmons george saint Legier visits the residence of the worthy judge quite frequently and knowing ones declare it to be their opinion that it will make a match some day soon and kind reader we think so too end of chapter twelve recording by john brandon end of the northern spy by j thomas warren